Hi, hi, hello guys. I'm Rui, and this is Macabre Ramblings, a paranormal slash history episode. It's another Sunday, and that means it's another new episode of Macabre Ramblings, the best podcast. It's another full ramble, and uh, it's a, I've said it's kind of a paranormal slash history kind of thing, because, you know, haunted places usually have history behind them, and in this topic, I've found one that has a lot of kind of a dreadful a tragic history behind it and it's something that i have been looking into for since the start of the podcast actually but it ended up being pushed back into the back burner is that how the saying goes and it is just i just managed to research it properly now and it's a place in the philippines here in my country and it's the Manila Film Center, and it's something that has been built in 1981. So, but before, <laughs> I almost spoke in like Filipino. So, before the Manila Film Center was made, was built, the Philippines did not really have a official national film archive. So, which is why in January 1981, the first lady at the time, Miss Imelda Marcos, decided to spearhead this project of building this film center in Manila. So this is located in Manila, as I have said, near the cultural center of the Philippines. And at the time, it was supposed to be the centerpiece of the Manila International Film Festival, which Miss Imelda Marcos uh, is a very ambitious lady. And she thought that she's gonna make this the Asian equivalent of the Cannes Film Festival in France. She wants this to be the... She wants Philippines to be the Cannes of Asia. So before we continue with the building itself, let's talk about Imelda Marcos for a bit. So at the time, Imelda Marcos was the wife of the Philippines president, but... Instead of president, I'd like to call him the dictator of the time, Ferdinand Marcos. He, there's so much history behind his reign and what he has done to the Philippines and the people in the Philippines and the martial law and all of that dreadful, dark past. But we're not going to delve into that because we're not going to talk about Ferdinand Marcos and Imelda Marcos. We're going to talk about what they have done. In this Manila Film Center and what their actions and decisions basically did to this building and so uh so Imelda Marcos as I've said is the wife of Ferdinand Marcos and she was known to the world as a very extravagant woman she leads an extravagant lifestyle while the population at the time 
There's a lot of poverty and famine, but she likes being extravagant. She likes to have a lot of diamonds. She loves diamonds. Uh, people have said that she would spend around $40,000 on just one single shopping spree. And she has gold pocket mirrors with her name encrusted in diamonds. So she's definitely living the luxurious life. At the time, she was considered to be the richest woman in the world. And she was not afraid to show it. So, in 1981, Seb said she wanted her ambition that the Philippines would be the cans of Asia to be realized. And at that time, whatever she wanted, she got. Like, at the time when she wanted a spectacular theater to host the Miss Universe pageant in 1974, she spearheaded the erection of the Folk Arts Theater and is designed by a national artist for architecture, Leandro Loxin, and it was all completed in a record total of 77 days. 77. People would say that's an amazing feat, and I would actually say that it's quite concerning, and actually this is a red flag on what would happen in this episode, what I would say and basically <laughs> discuss in this episode. So, at the time, 1980, Imelda th thought that the Philippines was in a very strategic position to be an international marketplace for films. So, for her, in her brain, it made sense to have a Manila International Film Festival. This is like a first of its time in Asia, and many believed that it would change the face of Asian culture forever. While the general population applauds the project, uh, the bulk of its planning basically has a lot of pressure, critique, and scrutiny in the months of this center's construction. In fact, a lot believed that the International Film Festival was an expensive idea and this couldn't be afforded by the struggling population of the time because its taxes are gonna be used, I think. I'm not quite sure about the finances of this building, but the people at that time is struggling. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of things that a lot of people believe should be looked after first instead of this international film festival and that's one of the pressures one of the critics that this project got there are a lot of plans for the film festival but apparently the pies de resistance pies de resistance or peace you know what i'm not gonna speak in french <laughs> so the main thing would be the film center and this is this this is designed by Froilan Hong and conceptualized by Ramon M. Ignacio, which is the former senior technology officer at the Technical Research Center. So there's an inspiration for the building. It was and it was the Parthenon in Athens, which is basically a temple built to honor the goddess Athena. So the building had its edifice upheld on over 900 piles, and it's reaching deep into the earth to the bedrock, 120 feet below the surface. So among the film center's project components were a 360-degree theater to show the past and present historical and tourism scenes for future generations. There's the film financing or loan program to address the funding of films. The Filipino film archiving using digital storage. So back then, uh, I guess the digital storages are I would think are rare, kind of more expensive back then compared to now where we can have like 
access for everything digital. So there's also a film database information system. There's also a filmmaking and blow up laboratory. There's viewing rooms for the board of sensors and other minor subcomponents. And this is at the time is a futuristic concept. And this is uh, done by Ramon M. Ignacio. But out of all of these projects, only two of them were actually done. <clears throat> and the, the projects that were left to be actually constructed is the 360 degree theater the film lab, and the film archives. So according to Hong Froilan, the architect, the foundation was set on a reclaimed land near Manila Bay. <clears throat> so the building is only one of the various amounts of buildings that the Marcoses built in their regime. And people have actually coined the term edifice complex, which is basically defined by architect Gerard Lico. And it is an, quote-unquote, obsession and compulsion to build edifices as a hallmark of greatness. So to show that they're great, to show that they're rich, to show that they have a lot of things to show and they have power. The Marcoses built a lot of different, uh, unique buildings to show off their money <laughs> and just how powerful they are at the time of the reign. So the Marcos prided themselves on the amount of manpower and funds that would be released to unearth this building. So they were saying that they have the right amount of power, they have the right amount of money, and they have the right amount of means to build this building. But there are a lot of skeptics that arose all over the country, which if I am alive at that time, which I was not, <laughs> I would probably one of those skeptics because they wanted this building to be built quickly, really quickly. And this basically gives off a red flag that this isn't going to be safe at all. Because, <laughs> you know, buildings like that, in that kind of range, in that kind of like uh, uniqueness or just something of that caliber, it's not something that you can build quickly. You know how buildings these days could be built like a long time? <laughs> Because you need to be careful building places that people would step into. Especially if it's like a place where a lot of people would come, sit down, enjoy themselves with film. And it's an eight-story building as well. So need, I don't, it, it's not safe at all. <laughs> and why is it not safe? How swift do they want this building to be made? They want this to be made in just three months. Just three months. Because there's a scheduled January event at that time. And so they ha need to have this building done but at that time. And they have a budget of $25 million. And supposedly this budget was first allocated to a new wing of the PGH, which is Philippine General Hospital, a public hospital. But the funds was basically moved to make this building. And PGH is another uh, hospital that is historical and I think there's a lot of haunt haunted things there and I'm probably gonna cover it in the future. <laughs> so yep. So construction start. Construction started and it was non-stop. There are 4,000 people working on it and they work three shifts every 24 hours. So apparently work that should have been done in just in six weeks was done in just three days 
you see how I'm very concerned. <laughs> I'm reading this, my research, and just this is concerning. It's fast, but as amazing as that is, it's concerning. So with a more sensible time frame, if they gave a time frame that is good, that is safe, and not non-stop like this, the grand lobby would need around six weeks. But they, it was finished in 72 hours by 1,000 workers. 72 hours. It's supposed to be six weeks. <laughs> oh my god. So here comes where everything just falls apart. Fun not intended. I'm pretty sure you guys don't know why I'm saying that. that I'm saying that I'm using a pun, but you'll know soon enough. So in November 17, 1981, at around 3 a.m. on the fourth floor of the construction, scaffolding collapsed. Yep. And because the construction was non-stop, there are workers there. And some of the workers were basically impaled on steel bars. Some were buried in the rubble. And because everything was being constructed very quickly, there's still wet, quick drying cement. And some of them were trapped there from the waist down. So there's this problem when, yeah, because they were pouring quick drying cement on each floor and they haven't waited for the layers to dry quite yet so it's still wet and then people fall down into it so due to the rush and the endless hours of working too much of the cement was basically poured down i think in the scaffolding for the fourth floor resulting in this disaster because i don't know how construction works but i imagine it that it became too heavy too quick and so it fell apart so however, this, this tragedy, you'd think that there's gonna be a lot of coverage surrounding it. There's a lot of a footage or just something that we show in the news anchors in the television. But the footages of this incident is very rare. And this footage could only be shown after, after the Marcus government was basically forced out of office. The people power? Yep. They got, they got basically ejected out of the office because people don't want them there anymore. Dictators, man. So there's this person named Nena Benigno, which is a former public relations officer for the Experimental Cinema of the Philippines and the Manila International Film Festival. That's a long title. She saw the immediate aftermath of the accident and she said, quote-unquote, From a distance, I could see people in stretchers being carried out frozen in cement. When I got there, they were still digging out people. The cement was not completely hard, and there was a guy that they were trying to keep from getting into shock. Ugh, this is just... Mm, this is so dreadful, it makes my stomach flip just thinking about it. Uh, so I'm gonna continue. Half of his body was buried. He was alive, but half buried. I don't know what it was, but to keep him awake, alert, not to go into a coma or shock, they kept him singing Christmas songs. I was watching this, and when this guy was finally free after 10 hours, unfortunately, he was already dead. So, as I've said, there are rare footages. There's a footage, but it's very rare. And how did that happen after this very big tragedy? You'd think that there's a lot of news around it. And that is because there was a media blackout. Yep. 
Responders were only allowed to access the site after nine hours. Nine hours. So by that time, it is said that at least 168 workers had already died or were buried in the cement, which had already hardened at the time. Due to this delayed access, as well as the media blackout, because at that time, the Marcuses have already imposed the martial law, there is no real record of the accident. It was said that, uh, this is gruesome, so uh, parental guidance is recommended, or just, just listen at your own risk, I suppose. So, hours later, jack hammers were used. There was apparently a gruesome view of bodies sticking out of the pavement. And what did the people think of doing this? How do they, how do the people, the authorities think, how are they going to take out the bodies from there? Or how are they going to rescue people if the, some of some have died? Hmm? So according to, because there's a rare footages and something, some of them, some people think that this is a legend, but According to this legend, quote-unquote, Imelda Marcos believed that if they rescued the corpses, this would only delay the project. And she ordered Betty Benitez, the project supervisor that is in charge of overseeing the construction efforts of the center at the time of the incident, she ordered the cement to be poured over the victims instead. Mm-hmm. <sighs> So there's this person named Mila Lorin, which is the head of marketing at the film festival. She said, or he said, they said, quote-unquote, I was told that they just cut up all of the ones that were exposed, remove and build over, which is why the seats are very steep. It was a rush job. So these people were just, you know, they had to finish it. Period. <laughs> I don't know if the mic is picking it up, but I started with like this strong kind of normal voice volume, but now I'm just talking really uh, because if this did happen, because I have said rare footages, legends and stuff, is this is actually written in one of the urban legends that are very popular because of the media blackout. Hmm. If this really happened, this is so Mm, this is stomach churning for me. So, so there's this mystifying part that people think about the tragedy because the administration, Marcos administration, basically prepared an official statement, but the rescuers aren't allowed on site quite yet. So, at the time when the experts in the field here heard about the quickness that the Marcoses want this building to be constructed, they basically claim that it is against most industrial building state legislations to demand the completion of a construction of this scale in such a time frame. To this day, the official figures that are dead are just seven. That's just the official figures. Nobody knows if this is real or not. And this is basically disputed by the general population. Uh, the workers present on site claim to have removed over a hundred bodies from the rubble. So it's a discrepancy between official records and what people, workers in the site were saying. Or just hearsay, oral stuff, oral storytelling <laughs> from the people. So Dr. Froilan Hong, in a uh, interview, I think, 
He is the architect in charge of the project. He publicly unveiled the plans of the site and claimed that he believed that over 150 workers had been buried alive in the concrete, but due to the strict time frame of the construction, their bodies were never retrieved. Regarding the official declaration that only seven lost their lives on that fateful day, Dr. Hong claims, quote-unquote, there is no truth to such stories. But I have also seen this article that says that Dr. Hong said this phrase, that there is no truth to such stories. And this article claims that Dr. Hong said this when he was asked about the fact that there are 150 bodies that are dead within the building, even at this moment. So even articles have like disputing facts. So it's believe what you want to believe, I suppose. I think that it might be in between. I'd like to think that it's in between. You know, it's not just seven people dead, but at the same time, it's not as 150 people kind of thing that nobody knows because media blackout martial law dictatorship you know so now that this uh <laughs> tragedy has happened let's go to the kind of the paranormal part yeah so according to rumors a fortune teller allegedly told first daughter amy marcos that she would die if she stepped foot in the building I don't know why it's her that would die, not her mother, but hey, I don't know. I'm not the fortune teller. So because the fortune teller told Imi that, uh, they started cleansing the place. There were exorcism rites. There were pagan rites. There were Catholic rites, Chinese rites. Officers were given anting antings, which is a Filipino version of amulet to ward off evil spirits. So on the morning of the opening, because they still finished it, and uh, I don't know if I should say fortunately, it was not delayed. <laughs> so on the morning of the opening, January 18, as early as 5 a.m., several Igrots, which are natives, performed another ritual, telling any lingering spirit that they must cross over to the afterlife. There were sacrifices. They sacrificed pigs and chickens and... Uh, they were killed for sacrifice, I have said, and those attending the ritual, including Amy Marcos, were told to consume them. So the sacrifice pigs and chickens are supposed to be eaten by the people present in the ritual. Despite all of these efforts, all of these rites, all of these sacrifices, those preparing for the festival had strange experiences. The usherettes who came from exclusive girls' schools started smelling something odd backstage almost all of them felt something cold blowing on their skin they feel like this there is this strange presence that made their skin feel these tingles according to other stories there are the deceased workers showing themselves to their colleagues or even to the guests so even the guests are not spared by these ghosts there are cries there are strange mysterious winds shadowy figures are heard seen and felt within the building uh, so during the time when the center was a foreign affairs building because it uh served as different it served different things <laughs> it became a different building in the years to come so while it was a foreign affairs building there the employees there were often spooked 
saying that they they heard saying that they heard strange sounds when no one was around. So let's go back to when the building was freshly constructed. So a few months later, the film festival, Benitez, the one who was in charge of the construction and under directly underneath Imelda Marcos, died in a freak car accident. Many thought that this was vi- basically the victim's form of revenge, the dead victim's form of revenge. So a medium was sent to Manila Film Center, and the medium supposedly claimed that the spirits told them, quote-unquote, Betty is with us. As I've said <laughs> just a few minutes ago, uh, they made it to the festival. The building was completed at the date of the festival, and somehow it felt like the accident didn't happen at all when the opening was happening but apparently the cement at that time was not completely dry because it everything was rushed so everything was just you know kind of pieced together it wasn't even like completely 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 finished so the cement was not completely dry and they covered this in carpet i believe and guests wearing long gowns found paint on the ends of their dresses because the red carpet the cement was still wet so there's paint there's still kind of cement sticking at the ends of their dresses and i'm pretty sure that the accident the tragedy at that time wasn't really blasted out into the masses that much and a lot of the guests were unaware that something like that had happened and they were just enjoying the event which is sickening to be quite honest so the new york times made an article and called it quote-unquote all-out spectacular regarding the film international festival international film festival and it basically went on to narrate there that there is a non-stop party for more than 300 guests this includes george hamilton peter ustinov priscilla presley jeremy irons and brooke shields and to celebrate this Imelda threw parties at Malacanang, which is basically uh, the president's place, kind of the White House, the equivalent of a White House. So she threw parties at Malacanang, where guests were treated to $100 bottles of champagne. Mm-hmm. So there was another party at Fort Santiago, where Imelda Marcos was literally dazzling in diamond earrings bracelets and necklace so she was just having fun partying around (laughs) and showing guests how luxurious her lifestyle is so the for the opening night of the film festival imelda's apparently dressed in a black and emerald green perno which is pear i suppose you could say that pear dress and it is decorated with several layers of peacock feathers from india oh yeah i have added this at the end of the ghosts thingy is the ghost apparitions looked like workers and sometimes they were partially enveloped by the concrete floor as if they are just infinitely reliving the, the horrifying accident. And there's also this commonly held belief that the building is cursed because of this tragic event. And I would talk about it but the building definitely went into demise very quickly. It did not stay as a historical luxurious building for so long so the manila film center showed films from 30 countries and by the uh film festival's end 
30 Filipino films worth $500,000 were sold through distribution deals. But despite this success, the building suffered a financial setback. There is a $5 million subsidy allotted for the festival, but this was disapproved by then Prime Minister Cesar Virata so that the center could survive and they have the right amount of financial stability that they need. Imelda Marcos created an agency that would later be the Movie and Television Review and Classification Board. And as stated in Presidential Decree 1986, this board allowed films that were close to soft porn be showed in the center. So this law also exempted all films to be shown during the festival from censorship. So this basically opened the doors for pornography and they got money from a lot of men that were basically lining up. And then this article said, quote unquote, droves of men were said to have lined up, almost destroying the doors for films like Virgin Forest. So the place once a site for showing good critic acclaimed films worth $500,000 are now showing soft pornography. You know, not that I'm knocking down pornography, but <laughs> I don't know what to say. So even if Imelda Marcos did all of this though, earnings from these films were not enough to pay for all the debts that this building has. And after the Marcoses were thrown out of their authorities, Rustans took back all of its paintings and furniture. Rustans is basically a... I don't know if they have a wider range than it is ha that it has right now but rustans is basically a shopping center you could buy like a ton of different stuff in rustans yep so as i've said the building definitely went into its demise real quick because uh there's this earthquake in 1990 and this was basically a strong earthquake i think and because of this the center was abandoned because it was declared unstable i like to think that it was unstable because it wasn't it's it's made from a rush job you know i'd like to think that if you rush stuff it's not as stable as you want it to be so it de was declared unstable after the 1990 1990 earthquake it was then rehabilitated for 300 million pesos and leased in december 2001 to amazing philippines theater and this is the producers of the amazing show and apparently this show is where all of the performers in the show were transgender so i like that i support that completely uh ha ha ha, ha. oh my god my notes were all over the place because there's a lot of historical anecdotes that i want to um put in this episode i did say that this is a historical paranormal thing so in the late 90s there was a gossip that one of the performers of the show the amazing show was murdered and her body was basically dumped on the steps so another tragedy has happened in this building and the ghost of the performer reportedly joined the ghosts that was already there decades prior and the amazing show's lease expired in 2009 and for a time the philippine senate was thinking of moving there but this didn't happen and in november 2012 the amazing philippines theater wants its lease regained but it did not happen because there's a series of unexplainable accidents that occurred on february 19 2013 there is a three-hour fire that caused damage that is amounting to 1.2 million pesos to the building 
And now the Manila Film Center is permanently closed. It's not used anymore after all of this. And the future of the building is currently uncertain. Though there's thoughts and plans to restore the property. Because it's still a pretty building, I suppose. <laughs> Security guards are still there uh, patrolling. And there, uh, there are safety signs warning visitors that the structure is basically unstable. But the building can still be viewed and photographed from the exterior. So as of the moment, it, is, it continues to be a source of inspiration for horror writers and a destination for ghost hunters. Uh, ha, ha, ha. For some, it is a reminder that there is a glorious times, time where Filipino films basically took center stage. But for others, it is a symbol of the dictatorship that we were that the Philippines was under at that time, which is very it is not a good time, not at all. If you could look through different stories or just a summary of what happened in the Marcos reign, you'd see it wasn't good. Now we go to the actual ghost accounts and what people have experienced as they. Enter and look through this Manila Film Center after it was built. So apparently, a couple of years after the tragedy, a group of psychics with Tony Perez of Ateneo de Manila University, which is a popular university here in the Philippines, they attempted to come in contact with quote-unquote spirits that was there during the construction of the center. So most likely the ones who were... Oops. Most likely the ones who were there when the tragedy struck and unfortunately lost their lives. So Paris and his group, after they looked through the building, claimed that they could sense the presence of over 100 spirits. However, however, they failed to come into direct contact with them. So they just felt that there were spirits, but they haven't seen or talked to any spirit within the building. So, uh, as I have said, this building uh, was, was used for in, in different a couple of ways. There are organizations that stayed there to use it as an office, but it didn't last that long. And it eventually ended up that the only type of organizations to just repeatedly frequent the center are the numerous paranormal investigations teams, of course, some of which have turned up startlingly high levels of phenomenon it includes the sporadic radiation levels detected via a portable geiger equipment as well as a number of recordings via evp which is electronic voice phenomena so there's another uh, account of several taxi drivers a couple of years ago so they have all reported the same thing that had happened to them on different nights and this experience would be that they would see a bruised woman with blood on her clothes waving for a taxi and ask to be taken to a hospital. So of course, if you're a taxi driver, look, seeing a woman like that, you're inclined to help. I like to think that even the ones who aren't taxi drivers are inclined to help. But of course, it's still scary to see someone with blood like that. So they drove her to the hospital. But when they'd arrived at the hospital, when they looked back, the back seat was empty and this kind of reminds me of the very first topic that i covered in this podcast the one in Baleta drive <laughs> it's kind of like that as well but not to the hospital but to a specific residence so let's go back so the writer named ken summers 
He investigated the happenings and found out that in 2001, a trans person, it didn't uh, specify if it's a trans woman or a trans man, but a trans person was murdered in the area and the body was dumped at the Manila Film Center. And this is like the one that was said that somebody in the Amazing Philippines Theater was killed and left in the stage was it as dumped on the steps of the building so this writer did see that something like that actually happened actually i have searched through the internet and reddit and stuff and for some reason i could not find like accounts that definitely 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 made me want to put it here in the podcast just like the other uh haunted places that i have talked about so I'm going to talk about one article from a reporter and another article from a Reddit site, subreddit named No Sleep. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people know that No Sleep is basically a treasure trove of fictional stories that are made to sound like they are realistic or they are real. But this one made me feel quite creeped out so i'll add this no sleep story here in this in this episode so first the one that happened to uh not a reporter i think he's one of the television staff people that entered the building to cover the haunted building so the title of his article is why i drove home in my underwear after looking for ghosts at the film center this article is made on november 1 2018 fitting by peter purissima So this is what he says. Several years ago, he drove home in his underwear, coming from a scary coverage. It was so scary, it scared pants of me, of him. So this happened sometime in the late 90s. And it was a nighttime shoot. The main theater was pitch black, so I'd like to assume they didn't open the lights. And he is with a group of 10 people. He has a TV TV staff of three with him. And they made their way on stage using flashlights. So the guru, the psychic journalist, Tony Paris, and writer of the scary Kubao fiction stories. You could search that up. (laughs) I'd like to search that up as well after recording this, I guess. So Tony Paris whispered that his student, so probably another psychic under him, could see a laborer standing beside their cameraman. He looked though and saw nothing. After that, they went to they went to pray, to pay respects, I assume. So in the middle of a prayer, the flames of the ring of candles suddenly, for a second or two, all tilted on the same spot on the same side. But because it's they're inside a building and everything is closed, it's pitch black. There's no like apparent wind to uh, blame for that, and so the people and the staff just took quick glances at each other wondering what the heck was that and while looking around the building they heard a slight sound of hammering or chiseling on masonry they went backstage to check but they found it empty they tried to trace the sound but they found nothing and they wondered who would perform construction labor in the dead of the night but while uh, and while hearing these faint sounds they tried to see the reason for they were suddenly hit by the smell of corned beef. <laughs> you know, when you're sauteing corned beef, they could smell that. And they found it weird. 
as would I as well in this situation. They're inside a aban an abandoned building, abandoned haunted building. <laughs> they're searching for ghosts and now they're smelling corned beef. Are they hungry? I don't know why. <laughs> I don't think so. So he, he's actually a skeptic. He's on one of the believers of spiritualism, I suppose. It didn't sway him that much, these uh, experiences within this haunted building. But then Paris, Tony Paris, the psychic, who looked like apparently an ordinary university professor, so he looks decent, <laughs> advised them that before they break up for the night, they should say a prayer, dust off their clothes, and remove them before entering their homes. The elementals or bad spirits might have clung to their clothes in their desperation to move on into the afterlife. So just a warning to make sure everybody comes home and they're all safe. So he got in his car and then he remembered another urban ghost story. The first topic that I covered in this podcast, the white lady of the Baleta Drive. And he got creeped out. Fear gripped him. He turned his rearview mirror, he removed everything but his underwear and then sped home. Apparently his clothes stayed outside their garage gate for a week. And that's the article that was written by Peter Purissima. And now we go to the last account that I would say in this podcast episode and it's from the No Sleep. It's posted by Jolo Dave five years ago and here's how it goes. My friends visited a theater and it was pretty terrifying. I'm just a student, currently earning my bachelor's degree in accountancy in De La Salle University, Manila. And it's another uh, popular university in the Philippines. And he said, you know, when college hits you hard in the chest, with all the lessons you have to study, especially accounting subjects, you just feel like you need a break. My friends and I are all adventurous. We are thrilled to try out new ideas to get unusual experiences with unusual outcomes. It's just great to learn and discover what the world has in store for us, right? I mean, someone has to do it. And what is life? It is one grand adventure. We already hiked the beautiful Mount Batulao, surfed in the sandy beaches of Boracay, gone to an off-road trip in Albay, and a bunch of other things most people haven't done yet. This time, we wanted to try something different. And of course, we went ghost hunting. Now. We did not want to go far from our houses. We live in Metro Manila, by the way. So what we did was search in Google, Top Scary Places in Metro Manila. We filtered the results, picked a site, and decided on a place. And we've chosen the Manila Film Center located in Pasay City. There were four of us going namely me, Alan, Lyndon, and Sebastian. All of them are actually pretty brave and I'm the coward among them. I won't be narrating how my friends and I got together and drove off to the theater. Let's go to the scary part. Believe me, as I'm typing this right now, I feel jitters behind my back as if to signify that I'm being watched. We got out of the car, picked up our bags, and most importantly, a big-ass flashlight. I also put a rosary inside my pocket for guidance and protection from above. We walked towards the theater. There was a security guard lurking around. We went up to him, introduced ourselves, and asked if we could go inside and do some ghost hunting. Luckily, the security guard was kind enough to let us in and he led us to the entrance. He also warned us that the stories were indeed true. He heard the voices a lot of times already, but he got used to it. He also said that he was lucky because he thinks that the voices he heard were the good spirits, the spirits who have moved on. 
He is not aware of any bad spirits inside the theater and he hoped we wouldn't encounter such. We also asked if we could turn on the lights if ever we started to feel spooked out. Unfortunately, he told us that he was under strict orders not to turn on any lights without permission from the management. He also told us that since we have our flashlights with us and I have a big flashlight, it would suffice. We thanked the guards and asked them to wish us well. We got inside the entrance and it looked really clean. We found ourselves in what is supposed to be the lobby where people would go in lines and wait for their turn to go inside the theater itself. On both sides are seats for what appeared to be waiting sheds. In front of us was a creepy mural which displayed a nude woman and a man being torn out, being born out, torn out, that sounds painful, a man being born out of a bamboo shoot. That's all that there is in the main lobby. We moved towards the main theater itself. It was your usual theater. Hundreds of seats, a stage, a curtain, air cons on the side, and a control room at the back. At this point, I haven't seen any ghosts, heard any ghosts, and felt anything because of ghosts at all. Even my friends didn't feel anything. The only thing I felt is the feeling of fear resulting from me thinking that anything or anyone might appear any second now. I got to my friends and told them that nothing's really happening. I also told them that the security guard might just be playing with us. Hell, we were students looking for fun. It was the perfect setup. I really wanted to know what the fuss is all about in this theater. After which, my friend just shouted, Aha! And I jumped out of fear. I thought he'd seen something. The reason why he shouted was just because he had an idea. He read about the Manila Film Center to prepare for this trip, but it is believed that if you put your ears beside the wall, in any wall, for about a minute, you will actually hear the voices of the people who were trapped inside this very theater. That is freaky, I thought. But well, this is what we went here for, and so we did. We decided that we'll take turns in putting our ears beside the wall. Alan went first, and he heard nothing. Lyndon and Sebastian also heard nothing. I told my friends I heard something, and they were freaked out. But the thing is, I just said that to scare them, and they were kind of disappointed. As I would as well. <laughs> if I'm with them, I would be too. Moving on, we went backstage and there was a door that was locked. Fortunately, one of us knew the art of pick-clocking and all he needed was a paperclip. And more fortunately, I just happened to have a paperclip inside my pocket. It was from an academic paper I submitted a little earlier that day. We went inside but saw complete darkness. The room was pretty dark. We hovered our flashlight to see what this room was. We didn't really figure what this room was supposed to be. Lyndon said that it was a dressing room, but it was at the back of the back of the backstage. Another dressing room? Maybe, perhaps, but we never really concluded what it was because the place looked unfinished. The floor was all cement, the ceiling had cracks on it, and the sides were all just painted white. We got deeper inside the room and this is where the really scary part starts. We saw some creepy writings on the wall. No one had the chance to take a picture of it because we left our phones inside the car in order not to ruin the ghostly experience we, exp we expect to have. First of all, let me break this story. That's dumb. Don't do that. <laughs> if you're going inside an abandoned building, even if there are security guards, bring your phone with you guys. Do not leave the thing that you use for communication outside away from you. So going back to the story but i have found a picture on the internet it's an incomplete picture but it will give you a gist of what we actually saw 
It's written in Filipino, but let me translate it for you. Imelda. Regrettable. Survivor. It wasn't long when we heard a loud noise and the ground just suddenly cracked. Then the lights went off. A lot of us fell, along with the wood and steel we used. Imelda. Initial investigation showed that the building was structurally stable. Survivor. It said, Bumagsak! Bumagsak! It is directly translated to, It fell! It fell! I think what he or she meant was the loud noise of wood and steel falling to the ground. You will be disgusted because there were dead people everywhere. The bodies just keep on piling up. Blood or dripping and spilling everywhere. I would never ever forget this. Imelda. It came to me in a mystical vision. Survivor. Mahirap na lang magsalita dahil malakas sa taas. Which, I believe, is an expression that means that it's hard for people to believe my side of the story if you're fighting with powerful individuals, such as the government. And puta means slut, and it's a uh, curse here in the Philippines. <clears throat> this isn't complete because the poster forgot what was written. Imelda, I completely forgot this one, but she was saying something about pornography and the arts, and that was it. It looked to me that this was a writing by someone who is teaching us who should be the one to blame. It served as an evidence against Mrs. Marcus, I think. So, clearing it all up, I am aware that it might have looked, came out as uh, confusing, but it's basically like a script, kind of akin to a script. So, Imelda saying that, and then the survivor says that. It kind of like contradicts with each other. So, it's kind of like someone wrote that script-like thing on the wall for them to read, and that's what... The poster surmises from this. So let's go back to the story. After grasping the meaning of the writings on the wall, I tried the put your ear on the wall trick on my own, hoping to hear any noises. And it found me. Too long! Which directly translates, help. I shouted and my friends all looked at me. I told them that I just heard the voice crying for help when I put my ear on the wall. They did it as well and heard no such thing. Why does the least brave in the group always get to experience this stuff? I looked behind my friend, at the door from where we came from to be exact, and there was a man standing beside it. He was all covered in blood, looking straight at us, or maybe just at me. I shouted again and they asked me what's wrong. I told them to look behind and they, look, and they looked very, very slowly they saw nothing they actually thought that i was playing a prank on them but i am fucking not my heart was beating so fast at that point even as i type this down i feel scared i closed my eyes for two seconds and opened it again the man was gone i asked my friends if we could get out of here one of them voted yes and the other two said no and i'm like okay me and Lyndon are going the hell out of here and so i got out of the creepy room into the backstage, into the stage itself, and then into the lobby. My eyes were wide open as I walked, totally vigilant of my surroundings around me. We passed by the guard and told him that what I just experienced. He was kind of shocked. All the voices he was hearing was just chattering and nothing specific. But he shrugged it off. He said that at least you weren't possessed by some evil spirit lurking inside the theater. Lyndon and I thanked him again and we walked towards the car. He started his engine and I played some feel-good music in order to ease the pressure down. We waited inside the car for a good 20 minutes. 
London and I looked at each other with confused looks on our faces. Because what's taking them so long? By the way, Alan and Sebastian are the bravest among us. Literally nothing really scared them. We decided to wait for them at the entrance where the guard was. As Lyndon was about to turn off the car, I saw two people shouting and one of them was carrying another. It was the security guard and Sebastian. Where's Alan? As they got closer, Sebastian was actually carrying Alan. And God, there was blood coming out of Alan's mouth. I opened my door and I figured that they are telling us to start the car and go to the nearest hospital. I opened the door for them and helped Sebastian to get Alan inside the car. I asked my friend to tell me what happened and he'd just explain it on the way because there's no time to lose. He sped off and found a nearby hospital. My friend is still admitted right now. And what Sebastian just told me was quite shocking. These were his exact words. I just could not forget it. Um, it's in Filipino and I'll just say the whole passage in English because it's quite long. So Sebastian said, When you guys left, we got deeper inside the room, and boy, it was huge. When we decided to wrap this up and go back, Alan just fainted. I tried waking him up, but he just wouldn't. When all of a sudden, his eyes opened and they were bloodshot red. Of course, I walked back a few meters because it was already scaring me. It was my first time to experience such thing. I ran for the door, but it slammed itself shut. Motherfucker. I'm alone with this guy, but Alan didn't come near me. Instead, he went to the wall and put his ear on it. After a minute, he shouted, All of you will pay! Banged his head on the wall and he fainted again. Afterwards, the door opened and that's the time I carried him and made a run for it. I have yet to hear Alan's side of the story. It was clear to me that he was possessed. I wanted to know if his mind was awake during that time. I hope he can remember something. Hearing at least one tiny detail of how he felt would be nice. And most of all, as his friend, I hope he's going to be okay. And to Alan, I also hope that he is going to be okay. And that is what this episode would end in. Yep, that's about it for Manila Film Center. Uh -huh, I hope you guys enjoyed this story and i had fun recording this as well because while recording it it also suddenly rained in the midst of it so if you hear something that's not part of this podcast and not me basically accidentally hitting the mic <laughs> i have a knack for that uh i'm using a different mic this time and i'm not quite used to it quite yet so <laughs> still having problems with that and the bumping and the unnecessary noises but uh, aside from that if you hear like drops or just thunder it's the rain outside and it's cozy it's nighttime it's cozy and i am telling a story of basically horror stories and i am enjoying it very very much and i hope you guys are enjoying it as well with me just being cozy and kind of creeped out at the same time that's like the best way to spend the day especially your night <laughs> so yep this is how i end it and uh oh yeah hint the hint for the next episode uh mm. oh yeah kobe don't eat that ass there that's the hint i'm pretty sure all of my hints are just vague so i'm just making like a joke out of them <laughs> so yep that's the hint for the next episode it's a true crime one so yep 
hope you looked forward to that and see you next sunday oh <laughs> oh yeah i forgot the social media stuff so if you have any story that you want me to cover any true crime any paranormal just weird phenomenons or if you have your own stories that you want to tell, you could email me at macabramblings at gmail.com. I also have Instagram where you can contact me there as well. I like the engagement. I just like hearing stuff from people that are listening to me. And the Instagram is macabramblings podcast. And I also have Twitter, which is macarambles. It's at M-A-C-A rambles. And so, uh-huh. I hope you guys eat well, drink well, rest well. Resting is important sleep well <laughs> yeah and always stay safe people staying safe is important even if there are uh injections what do you call that uh, oh vaccinations there we go even if there are vaccinations going around being safe and doing the personal uh distancing is still good social distancing and so stay safe and stay spooky everybody see you next sunday bye bye